Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. Good to see you this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, I'm going to ask you to be some uh, honest with me this morning. How many of you grew up in a dysfunctional home? And if your parents are in the room, it's okay. We all raise your hand. Everyone grew up in a dysfunctional home. Okay, we all did. Uh, you know, one of the things you, many of you know, I'm going back to school. I'm actually taking. I'm on my last class to get my master's degree. I'm very excited about that. After I get done with this, then I just get to practice on people, and we'll see what happens. You know, it's pretty going to be pretty fun. Um, but one of the things that they try to do in, when you're taking classes, they give you these opportunities to uh, give you case studies. Okay, how would you counsel someone who has this background, who has this issue? And typically, for if someone's coming to see a marriage and family therapist, there's some dysfunction that's in their home. And one of the most common dysfunctions that you see uh, when someone comes to, to see you is a lot of times how they grew up, that the environment they grew up in in their home uh, was 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 really upside down. And what, what I mean by that is the parents did not treat the children like children. Two of the most common mistakes that, that many parents make with their children is, uh, number one, when they, they, they might have their own issues of relationships going on. And so when they have children, they say, well, I've had these children so that I'm not lonely anymore and I want a friend. And so these, they, they don't treat them like children. They treat them like they would a friend. And, and you can imagine, maybe that's your own experience. You can imagine the kind of dysfunction and how that's not supposed to the way it's supposed to be. Uh, another kind of dysfunction is when parents... A mom and dad might have a, a dysfunctional relationship, marriage, and they don't really connect very well. And so what the parent does is they, they attach themselves to one of their children to say, you meet my emotional needs the way that my husband or my wife was. And each of those are really big problems that if you do that, you're going to multiply the dysfunction in your family. And, and the reason I bring that up is I, I really believe that all the things we've been talking about in this series with gospel saturation, I mean, th- there's some really big things. I mean, I love that song that Jason's saying, just challenging us to believe what God is able to do. But all of the things that we're talking about from, from the very beginning when we started this series, this new vision that we exist so that every man, woman, and child in Lake Norman and beyond has the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus and understand that our mission is to pursue at all costs a passionate, God-centered life. And that life is living in community, investing in growth, fulfilling our purpose, and engaging in the Great Commission. All of those things, every single one of those declarations, all of those, that vision, that mission, if you, don't, if you have a dysfunctional relationship with God, that, this entire vision is going to feel very annoying to you. What I mean by that is this. If you believe, if your starting point with God is, God is there to serve me. That God is the one, like God exists so that I, my life will be fulfilled. And so when you go to God, and the whole reason you go to God is because, and the whole reason you come to church is so that my life will be better. That, that God's gonna, God is there to make sure that my life goes well, that I'm happy, that I'm fulfilled. That's why I follow God. You have a dysfunctional relationship with God. Because that's not the way God relates to us. God is very clear. As much as God loves you, God loves you so much, and God wants to bless your life, but there's a couple things in order for God to, for that relationship with God to work, there's a couple things we got to understand. Number one is that he is in charge. And the second thing is this, we are here, we exist to glorify and serve him. So all of these things that we're talking about when it comes to pursuing at all costs a passionate, God-centered life, 
All of these letters, living in community, investing in growth, fulfilling our purpose, each of those things, if you try to do this in a, this is about me and not about God, you will miss what God really wants to do. And and I bring that up because the E in life stands for engaging in the Great Commission. And this is the one. You can can put your own altruistic spin on the L, the I, and the F. You can do that. But when it comes to engaging in the Great Commission, sharing with people the gospel of Jesus, it really does. It's the one letter that we have to ask ourselves, this will cost me something. This is something that is, is challenging to me. And if we don't have a, if we have the proper functional relationship with God, and it's God expecting us to obey and follow him, if, if it's the other way around, like, God, you are there for me, then guess what? The obedience is optional for us. And that's what we end up doing. The reason I know that is because, by and large, most Christians today, people who, who proclaim as followers of Jesus, do not share their faith. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I need someone from this back section over here just to stand up. I need someone just back, upper section. Who wants to stand up? I, don't worry, you're not have to do anything. Just stand. Okay, thank you. I need someone from this section to stand up. Who wants to stand? It's okay. Anyone. You're not going to be in trouble. Okay, thank you. I got, I got you, Carrie. I got you, Carrie. Okay, middle section. I need want someone to stand up here. Okay, one of you. Need, you sit down. Okay. <laughs> S- someone, all right, got you, John. Someone stand up in the back. Okay, we got... We got five people standing up, okay? This is the amount of percentage of people that share Jesus on an annual basis with someone. When you look at the percentage of Christians, around 2%, 2%. Now, based on the, what the average attendance is in these services, it represents these five people. 2% of people share their faith. And I'm not talking about, I told someone I was a Christian. I told someone I went to church. No, it's you telling someone that they are a sinner and in need of a Savior, and you go through the gospel presentation with them and invite them to make a decision for Jesus. 2% of followers of Jesus share their faith on an annual basis. Okay, you can sit down. I was thinking about making you stand the entire time as, a, as an illustration. But that, that's, it. that's a sobering thought. Okay? And for many of us, when you think about the percentage of, what, of Christians' activities, okay, typically about 60% of churchgoers show up on a Sunday morning. About 40, you know, the church attendance isn't always 100%. And then half of those people are actually involved in a small group or ministry. So you see the percentages, how they get smaller and smaller and smaller, and then it goes all the way. So when we have the E at the end of life, here's one of the things that we recognize as a church when we began this journey over two years ago, that we knew that we had to do something about the Great Commission because we in ourselves knew this is one of our weakest letters. And if we want to be obedient to Jesus, we've got to do better. And so when it comes to engaging in the Great Commission, here's here's the main idea I want to leave you with, and that is this. The Great Commission isn't optional. The Great Commission isn't optional. I want you to see this in our text today. Look what it says, Jesus, in Jesus' final words. He has lived his life. He has been born. He's he's lived a, a perfect, sinless life. He went to the cross. He bore our sin. He bore our shame. He bore our condemnation. He went to death. He paid the penalty of death, even though he didn't deserve it. 
And then he rose again from the dead three days later, conquering sin and death, conquering Satan, conquering the authorities of heaven and earth. And then what he does is he he proclaims, I'm now in charge. Look what he says in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, what's interesting about this passage, see that in verse 19, those two words, make disciples. It's the only true verb in, this, in the Great Commission. It's, so underline that. I want you to underline And it's in the imperative. Okay. Now, here's something I want you to understand. When you study the Greek and you study the nuance of this word, make disciples, here's what it means, okay? It means make disciples. Okay? There's no deep, there's no like deeper level like understanding. It's just simply Jesus saying, I want you to do this. Keep it simple. Make disciples. This was, this is an expectation of Jesus with his followers. This was, this was a command that Jesus gave to his followers, which means that we are either obedient to Jesus or we're disobedient to Jesus. That's what it comes down to. We're either obedient to the Great Commission or we're disobedient to the Great Commission. But here's what I know. If you are a disciple of Jesus, it's not an option. The Great Commission is not optional for us. So, so as I look at this passage, there's two big questions that I think we need to ask ourselves. Okay? Two big questions that everyone in this room we need to ask when it comes to when Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded you, and, and I, behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. What are those two questions? The first question that really stood out to me, because remember, one of the things that we talk about is ask the Bible questions. The first question I hope that you're asking is, am I a disciple? Right? Am I a disciple? Are you a disciple in this room? Are you someone that can say, I am a disciple of Jesus? And if you're going to say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, here's something we've got to ask yourself is, how do you know you're a disciple of Jesus? That word disciple means something. There's a reason why Jesus used the word disciple. When we think of the word disciple, if you're familiar with the Bible, many times you think of you know, those 12 guys that followed Jesus around and, and they, you know, they, they, they helped them out and sometimes they really messed up, but, but Jesus had this band of followers but when you think of disciple, when Jesus says, go make disciples, there was a contextual understanding of what a disciple is and what a disciple did in those days. And if we bring in our cultural expectation of what it means to be a disciple, then I think we, we've got we've to align our understanding of the word disciple to Jesus' understanding of the word disciple. Because here's what I think we've made discipleship into today. When Jesus said make disciples, he did not mean, here's what I want you to do. Go live your life and then show up to church once a week for a couple hours. You know, mingle a little bit if you can. And then go home and read your Bible every day. Pray, hopefully. And if you're really special, you'll attend a small group or ministry. Is that what Jesus meant? Is that discipleship? I think, listen, I think what it means to be a follower, to be a disciple of Jesus is so much more than that. And I think many times our own church experience, one of the biggest problems I think we have today in our churches is that we have discipled people how to do church, but we have not discipled people to follow Jesus. 
We, we, have, we are good at doing church. We're good at showing up to the services and, and doing the ministries. But when it comes to being a genuine reflection, remember one of the things I said from the very beginning, our, our vision sermon, God is looking for partners who represent him in the world. That's what a disciple is. Someone who's going to partner with God. Someone says, God, I want to do what you want me to do, and I'm going to reflect who you are in the world today, in my world. And if we're going to, if we're going to do that, We've got to ask ourselves, am I a disciple? Now, in order to be a disciple, if we're going to take our understanding, when those, when those men on the mountain, the men and women who are standing, sitting there, as they're seeing Jesus ascend, and they, Jesus said, go make disciples, they in their mind knew what a disciple was and how a disciple acted. And there's four components to, to being a disciple that Jesus made very clear. And it's the cultural context of this. The first act of a disciple is you join your teacher. You join, you join the movement, you join your, your master, you join the, the rabbi. When someone was a, was in a spiritual authority, they would all have their own disciples. They had people that would follow them. But in order to be a disciple, it wasn't like, I, I, you know, from nine, this is a nine-to-five job. No, this was a leave, remember James and John, leave the boats. Leave Matthew, leave the tax booth. Come follow. It, was an aban- it was an abandonment of everything of their former life and saying, I am now dedicating all of my life to this guy. That's what it meant. It was not a part-time discipleship. It was we were all in or you weren't in at all. And when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, that really, the entryway into a relationship with God, the Bible uses two words, repentance and faith. It's you don't earn, you don't prove yourself to God, you don't prove yourself to Jesus to see if you're worthy of joining him. No, Jesus chooses us. And when we have the when we're invited in, we have the opportunity to repent, turning from our old life, turning from our sin, turning from ourself, and putting our faith and trust in him, saying, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. I don't have anyone else in my life that I'm going to turn to. And if you've made that decision, praise God. But maybe there's some of you in this room, you've never made a decision, a conscious decision to say, I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to follow him. He's going to be my Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, that is the first act of a disciple. And I hope that you will do that today. We'll talk about that later. But the second, the second component of a disciple is this. You learn. You've got to learn. One of the things that Jesus did, he did a lot of teaching. He did a lot of things that, you know, to, to, he had a way of life that, that he was trying to communicate. So you see in, in uh, John, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapters uh, 5 through 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You see the Sermon on the Plain, Luke chapter 6. You see the Upper Room Discourse in, in, in John chapter 14 through 17. You have these long discourses of Jesus that as disciples, they, were memor- they would be commissioned to memorize. This was an illiterate society. Not a lot of people could write or read. And so how the message got forwarded is that the disciples of the rabbi, of the teacher, would sit all day with the teacher. And as the teacher would teach, they would memorize it word for word and then go out and teach the same. One of the things I've been doing some church history reading recently, and, and there's this um, church, one of our church fathers, our Irenaeus, who was a bishop of Leon uh, in the second, second century, he was a disciple of Polycarp. And Polycarp was a disciple of John. And so when Irenaeus was talking about how his experience with Polycarp, Polycarp would tell him, would tell Irenaeus, I remember sitting at the feet of Jesus, or sitting at the feet of John, and John would just recite, memorize all the things that he would hear Jesus teach. That, well, 
This is so much more than I'm reading a chapter a day. This was an intensity that says, man, I want to know everything I can about my master. I want to know how he thinks, how he lives, what he believes. I want every, every part of him, I want to be part of me. That's what I mean by learning. And in order to learn, that leads to the third component, component, and that is doing. You never had a disciple that said, I've got my degree. I've got my bachelor's in theology. No one cared. You learned so that you lived. The doing of the disciple was, was this was the moment that really made a, made a determination. Were you a genuine disciple? Yes, you could have joined them. You could have listened to them and memorized it. But until you started participating in doing it was when people could see, that guy's a follower. That guy is, that guy is genuinely a disciple. And so to be a disciple means I don't just know about God, I don't just know about the Bible, but I'm learning it and I'm growing it, I'm committed to it, but now I'm going to live it out in every area of my life. There's not an area of my life that will not reflect what my master, what my Lord wants. That's what being a disciple means. And then the last component is teach. They were, they were expected, if you were going to be a disciple, it was an expectation that you joined, you learn, you did, and then you would teach what your master taught you to other people. Why? To make disciples, to make more disciples. This is how, this is how the movement began, and this is how the movement expand, expanded. And so when, when, if God is looking for partners who represent him today, you know what he's looking for? He's looking for people who will commit their lives to, to Jesus put their faith and trust in him, who will learn everything that, that Jesus wants and expects for us as his followers, who, that we will live it out for all to see in every area of our life, and we'll live it out to help others do this. This is the expectation of what Jesus means to go make disciples. And you might be sitting there, because if you look at what Jesus says, maybe you're stuck at one of those. I don't know, what of those four are you stuck in? Out of those four, where you say like, man, I, I've done well in that's where I've, I've stopped right there. Maybe you've never made a commitment. Maybe you've never learned and maybe you're not doing. One of the things that Jesus says, look in the Great Commission, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Again, these are the, those two middle sections, teaching and doing. And I want to pause right here and say, this is, it is so important for baptism for you to be baptized. If you're going to make a commitment to follow Jesus and Jesus is your Lord and Savior, let me just say this. The Bible always has the pattern of faith and trust in Jesus and then baptism. Maybe you've been baptized as a child. And if you were, I don't want to diminish anything what that meant to you or your family. But let me just say this. What the Bible teaches every single time, there is a, there is a narrative of someone being baptized. It is always after their expression and their commitment to Jesus. It's always after. And it's always by immersion. It's always in to, to signify the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And Here's what I would say. If, that, if you've never done that, you are missing out on obeying the first command that Jesus says to do. He says, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you've never been baptized, and the reason why baptism is important, it doesn't make you saved, but it's kind of like this. If you went to a wedding ceremony, and the officiant gets up there, you, know, you have the, you know, the elaborate speeches, and eventually you get to the good part, the vows. And the you know, husband and wife, they, they make the vows to one another, and after they give the vows, what's the next step in the ceremony? 
The rings. The rings. Why? The rings are a symbol of the vows that were just made. And if you get to a wedding ceremony and the, the officiant's like, okay, you made the vows. Now, Joe and Sally aren't going to exchange rings because they're just not, they just don't want to make this public yet. What would you think about that couple? Eh, I have some, I have my doubts. If you ever see someone remove their wedding ring, what are they saying? I don't want people to identify me as I belong to anyone. You see, th- this ring that I wear says I'm committed to my wife. We've been wearing it for 25 years plus. And, and, and when you, this is an outward expression of my covenant commitment to Liz. Baptism is the outward expression it doesn't make, this ring doesn't make me married, but it's a symbol of my marriage. Baptism is the same way, okay? That's why we practice it. And we, we're having a baptism service on December 10th. If you've never been baptized, I encourage you to do so because it's, it's, the, it's what Jesus wants. It's a way that we can model what Jesus modeled for us and to align ourselves publicly and say, I am a disciple of Jesus. He wants us to do that. Don't be afraid to identify with Jesus publicly. And, and so the, the, the question of, are we really, where are you on that four-step process? Have you joined? Are you committed? Are you learning? Are you growing? Are you doing? And are you teaching? Well, this is the last. And so the second question is, first, are you a disciple? Second question is, are you a disciple maker? Are you a disciple maker? Are you someone who's obedient to this command that Jesus gives. Notice that Jesus, one of the things I love about Jesus is that he never dumbs down his expectations of people. Never. In fact, whenever the crowd got too big, you know one of the things that Jesus would always do? He would say something that would make people be like, I don't know if I want to follow this guy. Like he feeds the 5,000, and probably more than that, probably 15,000 when you can include women and children. But, but all of a sudden, the crowd the next day follows him, and they're they like, hey, we want more bread. And just like, okay, these people, what was going on in the relationship? All of us remember the dysfunction relationship? They were, Jesus, you're here for me. And you know what Jesus said? Oh, you want some more bread? Well, if you want some more bread, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And like, ew. See you later, Jesus. Right? He has this moment where he says, if you don't really, do you want me? Do you want me? Am I enough for you? Or do you want me for for something that helps you? And so you're just following me to get something from me for you. That's not what it means to be my disciple. And so Jesus was always calling people to a higher standard. But there was always an expectation that Jesus gave to people to say, okay, you learned this, now go. The man, the demoniac, there's a story where he, there's a demoniac, he can't be held by, by anyone, by chains, and he's, he's possessed by a myriad of demons. In fact, they call him legion. And, and finally, Jesus casts out the, the, the legion of demons into the pigs, and they run off this hill, and, and finally, the man's clothed in his right mind. And I always find it interesting that when the townspeople come back, they're freaked out that the guy's normal. Did you ever, did you ever realize that? They're completely okay with a madman who can't be chained, who's you know, running around naked in the graves. And they're like, yeah, we can live with that. But the moment this guy's like, he's okay and calm, they're like, hey, you got to get out of here. Like, that's a little odd to me. I never really got that. But they see this guy clothed in his right mind, and they're like, we're really scared, Jesus. You got to get out of here. And so 
Before he leaves, this guy's like, hey, I want to come with you. The guy that was just healed from, from being demon-possessed. And Jesus says, no, I want you to go and tell everyone you know what I've done for you. That's what he tells you. If you have been changed by Jesus, you have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. And you know the next time Jesus shows up in that same region where he healed the demoniac is the feeding of the 4,000. That man who got saved from his demon possession, he did his job. He did his job. And when people, when you are passionate about how God has changed you, you are willing to share Jesus with others. And so, so when it comes to obey, are we a disciple maker? The question is, would, if, if we were to ask people, we're not going to do this. There's two ways to motivate people. You can motivate people out of guilt and shame, or you can motivate people out of love. And, and, and love is always a better motivation. I, I, we could do, I've heard a lot of sermons on, on sharing your faith that make people feel really bad and guilty. In fact, we were at this Timothy Initiative, uh, my wife and I, last weekend. It's a mission or organization doing amazing work. I mean, baptizing tens of thousands of people, planting tens of thousands of churches. Just awesome, awesome. I'll share more with you later, uh, hopefully, uh, what God's doing there. But, you know, one of the speakers from this country, really hard country to, to be, you know, a pastor, a leader in, to share their faith. And he was just talking about his experience, and, and, he, and he was just, you could just tell he was speaking from his heart. He said, you know what? I cannot wait. I cannot wait for that first day in heaven. I cannot wait for that first day in heaven because I, I cannot wait for it to meet all the people that are going to be in heaven because I've shared Jesus with them. And you could just sense that, you know, 450 Americans in the audience were like, how long would that, how, how many people would, would greet me? Because God used me to share Jesus with them. Listen, I could really lay the guilt on thick right now. But I'm not going to do that. Because it, guilt only makes you do something for about a week. And that's not what God's about. In fact, Jesus gives the ultimate motivation. You know what his motivation is? He says two things. Jesus, he sandwiches the command to make disciples between two statements that I believe should be our motivation. Okay? And the motivation, the first thing he says is this, verse 18. And Jesus came, to, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. See, if we don't understand the authority and the power of Jesus, you will let fear keep you from saying anything about Jesus. Jesus is letting them know, do you, you understand what I've just done? I have conquered sin and death. I've conquered Satan. I've con there's no earthly power. There's no spiritual power that can stop you. You now have my authority if you go in my name. So go be bold. Go be confident. That's what he's talking about. When we understand the authority and the power that Jesus won for us through his cross and resurrection, we will not be timid, we will not be shy, we will not be fearful because you know what? There's a greater authority over us and a greater authority behind us. So when we speak, we do not speak what I think. We don't speak what my opinions are. We speak an authority and a power that is greater than ourselves. That's what we need to be doing. That's what our minds and our hearts need to be focused on because we can let the fear of what is this person going to think of me or what's going to happen to me. 
When I understand every environment I, put my, I find myself in is an environment, even though from, from the horizontal, my perspective, may feel oppressive, may feel like God's not here. God has authority over that place. God has authority over your workplace. God has authority over our government. God has authority over everything. Everyone that's against him, God has authority over him. Jesus has the authority. That same man that was on the stage talking, we, Liz and I got a chance to actually have, you know, we all sat at tables and we had a meal with them, he and his wife one time. And I won't, I won't, sh- I won't share his name, but I'll share the country he's from because just me sharing it publicly could put him in danger. But he's, he's from the country of Myanmar. And Myanmar is a very difficult country to be a, a follower of Jesus and it is, it is oppressive. There's a military regime that's in charge. It's been in charge since about 2021. And this man has lived through a number of these different military coups and uh, has been a follower of Jesus and has been instrumental in planting hundreds, if not thousands, of churches. He is a movement leader in that country. And he risks his life just being in in our country um, but but when we were, Liz and I were talking to him with a couple other families, they just talk, he just talks about what it's like to live in Myanmar. And he has checked every single day. There's these military checkpoints. And at any point, any time, if people find out who he is and what he's doing, they will kill him. And so my wife just turns to his wife and she's like, how do you handle that emotionally every day? That Knowing that when he leaves the home, it could be the last time you see him. And she just poured her heart out. It just it was extremely hard. And, and one of the things that the that the husband said, and he he just said, every day I leave my house, I hold my wife's hand and I tell her it's going to be okay. He doesn't say it's he's going to come back safely. He doesn't guarantee any safety, but he's, he says it's going to be okay. You know why he says it's going to be okay? Because Jesus has all the authority in the world. And he does not stop what he does because it's going to be uncomfortable for him. Because of what it might cost him. I'll tell you what, I love being around people like that. I'm, I am, I'm a different person because I get to be around someone who has a sense of the authority and the power of Jesus. I mean, he believes it. He believes it. When we last sang that last song, do we believe in the authority and power of Jesus? When you understand the authority and the power of Jesus, man, it just sets you free from what anyone else thinks about you. Because God has, Jesus has the authority and power. Not only does he say he has the authority and power, look at the, after he says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them everything I've commanded you. And he says this, the last part of verse 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There is a promise. Not only do we have the authority of Jesus, but we have the presence of Jesus at all times. What Jesus is saying is, I'm in charge. I'm the big guy. Like You, you don't have to worry about going anywhere where I'm, not, where I'm not in control. So if you step out on faith and you follow me and you risk it all, just know that I will, listen, I'm in charge. And number two, I'm with you. You're never alone. You're never alone. I will be with you. I will be present with you. We know this is the promise of the Holy Spirit with us. One of my favorite verses in Psalm 139 is, you know, it's, it's, it's David's great declaration of, of God's presence, the theology of God's presence. It's a wonderful psalm. 
And one of the things that David says in there, I think it's verse 4, and it's one of my favorite things that David ever says. He says, you hem me in behind and before, and you place your hand upon me. It's like this picture of Jesus, God just being like, I got you. There's, no, there's nowhere you're going to go. There's nothing you're ever going to do where I am not this close to you. See, not only do we, should we have the boldness and the confidence to, under the authority of Jesus, but we also have the comfort. We have the comfort to know that, man, I'm never going to be put in a situation that God's not going to be present with me. I'm never going to, I never have to worry about what I'm going to say. Because if I'm being obedient to Jesus and making disciples, if I'm going out there declaring to every man, woman, and child around me about the good news of Jesus, then I know I, I can, his presence and his comfort and his authority, I will experience it in ways I never have before. That is the, when we obey Jesus, we get the opportunity to experience the presence of Jesus and the authority of Jesus in ways that we don't if we stay on the sidelines. I don't know if, I'm hoping that more than 2% of us are obedient to the Great Commission. One of the things that we've been doing for over the last couple, couple of years is helping us become a church that we're, this is our hope, by 2030 that the E in our name, engaging in the Great Commission, is one of the strongest letters. It's not the weakest letter, but it's one of the strongest letters. And, and there's a couple of ways that we're, we're trying to encourage you to engage in the Great Commission. And there's going to be some really easy ways and there's going to be more challenging ways. And there's two major ways that most churches try to train people to do evangelism. And I think both ways are good and appropriate at times. I'm a both-and person. I think when churches do one or the other, they, they miss out on, I think, a good, good blending, a good complementary uh, behaviors. But the first way is this. The first opportunity that we churches try to encourage people to engage in the Great Commission is this. Hey, we're going to have an event, and at this event, we're going to uh, invite your friends, your neighbors who do not know Jesus, and in being in this environment, we're going to share the gospel of Jesus and praying that they make, make a decision. Nothing wrong with that. Those, those are good things, but let's just be honest. When that is your only discipleship strategy, it's not that effective. We will never get to every man, woman, and child if that's our only strategy. And for, for the most part, most of the American church is bought into an event-driven evangelism. Again, nothing wrong. We don't want to throw that out. But, but what really is going to make this, this movement happen is when, when the individual disciple, and this is the second way, when the individual disciple of Jesus takes the call, takes the commission to tell others about Jesus seriously and says, I will do this. See, every single week, I don't know how many churches around Lake Norman preach the gospel, but every single week, I, I'm pretty sure that at least a few dozen times, the gospel goes forward in Lake Norman from the pulpit, from a position where someone is proclaiming God's word. That's my hope. But listen, if, we're, if that's the only time people hear Jesus, is when I have to invite them into a room to hear someone else talk. I'm missing out on God's design. See, we've got to make the individual disciple the access point, the primary access point for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want the gospel going out a few dozen times. I want the gospel going, I, I want what God wants, God wants the gospel going out thousands of times every week. Thousands of times every week. And it will not go out thousands of times until we ourselves take ownership of the lostness around us and say, I will share with every single 
man, woman, and child around me about, about the gospel of Jesus. So, so I'm a both-and guy. And so we're going to give you guys both-and opportunities. All right? I'm going to share with you three opportunities really quickly here to end of how we want you to engage in the Great Commission. First is we are going to have a Christmas concert on December 17th. This Christmas concert, listen, you know how well Jason does with his choirs. They're phenomenal. We have expanded to two shows, on one at 3 o'clock, one at 6 o'clock, and we have printed out these beautiful tickets for you to share, to give to people, your friends and neighbors, to invite them to this event. Now, these are not for you, okay? They're not for you. So if you come in and you, because there's a free Christmas beverage on here, okay, right here, and you can come and get a free, free drink at the cafe. I mean, we're trying to, we're going we're gonna, to, it's stocked and ready. But, but this is for your friends and your neighbors to come. Uh, and, and so we have a table when you leave here today. When you walk outside, there's a, a table there. That you can get a ticket for either the 3 o'clock showing or 6 o'clock of, of this. And I promise you, they are going to hear the gospel. I'm going to pre- be presenting the gospel that night. And I'm going to make it so awkward and embarrassing for you. It's just going to be great. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, okay? I'm just kidding. That's what you're worried about. Like, oh, what's Ben going to say? How is he going to present Jesus? Listen, I promise you this. They will hear the gospel of Jesus. They're going to hear the gospel. And if you have friends that you love that need to hear about God's love, bring them in this room, okay? But we know this, that's, not, that's not at all. That's, we, can't, we can't take the gospel to every man, woman, child through two Christmas concerts because the next thing we're going to do is we are going to lean into our blessed strategy. One of the things that we have emphasized from, since last year is our strategy to, to really engage in the Great Commission is our blessed strategy. Blessed is an acronym. It stands for begin with prayer, listen, eat or exercise, uh, serve them, and then share Jesus. Okay, And it's just this progression. The reason why, why we do this is because we see this modeled by Jesus himself. This is how Jesus made disciples. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to be doing a sermon series on our blessed strategy, inviting you to take those next steps of obedience because all of us, every single one of us, can begin with prayer. Every single one of us can listen to someone's story. Every single one of us can can share a meal with another person, invite them into our homes, have coffee with them. Every single one, we can do that. Every single one of us can get to a point where we find out about a need in their life and say, can I help you? Can I serve you in that way? And every single one of us can sit, at some point sit down with them and say, let me tell you about Jesus and why he's changed my life. Every single one of us can do that. And maybe you're not ready for that final S, but I know all of you are ready for the first letter, which is begin with prayer. All of us are ready for that. And I'm going to be talking about that next week. The last event, the last opportunity, I should say, is another event. I was... I was privileged enough to attend a, a meeting this week in downtown Charlotte um, where a number of churches are getting together in Charlotte, and we are going to have, and I'll talk more about this next week, that we are going to have, there will be an evangelistic crusade in the city of Charlotte. We are renting out, in the next September, we're renting out Bojangles Arena for two nights, and we want to pack it out with people who need to hear about Jesus. And I told them, I said, we're in. Our churches, we want to be a part of this. this. This is every man, woman, and child stuff, people. And I cannot wait to see what God's going to do. 
I'll tell you more about that later. I'll, in fact, I have a story to share about that next week, that, of how this whole thing even came to, to being that I think fits what we're going to be talking about next week. But, but we want to be a church that engages in the Great Commission, all of us. The Great Commission isn't an option. It's not an option for you. It's not an, we are either going to be obedient or disobedient. But Jesus has an expectation for every single one of us to obey it. Are you a disciple? Are you a disciple maker? Three quick questions for you, application questions, and then we're done. Number one, have you made a commitment to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You know, let let me just say this. The Bible makes very clear that every single one of us are sinners, that we have gone our own way. We have rebelled and sinned against a holy God. And because we have sinned against him, we have brought separation between us and God and brought death to ourselves and to the world. Yet God loved us enough to give us his son, Jesus, God in flesh, to live the life that we could not live and to die the death that we deserve. We sang about that in our second song this morning. And when Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross for your sins and paid the ultimate price, took the wrath of God from you, and put it on him. And when he, went to, when he died, he died your death. But death could not hold him, and he rose again from the dead and conquered sin and death so that you might have his righteousness. That's the gospel. And if you have never placed your faith, if, if, that, if that is just a story to you that it means nothing, then, then maybe you've not made that commitment to him. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, but if you have not, I want to invite you to do that today. You come see me after this service. We have a prayer team out in the lobby with white lanyards that would love to talk with you, pray with you. If you have questions about what it means to make a commitment to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, get that nailed down today. Don't leave here today without talking to someone. That's the first question. Second question, have you chosen to identify with Jesus through baptism? Listen, this is, again, this is the first public act of of commitment saying, God, I want everyone to know that I'm a follower of yours. We're going to have a baptismal service on December 10th. If you have never been baptized after your salvation, take a little card out in front of you, just fill out your name, your contact information, and say, I'm interested in being baptized. And we'll have someone contact you this week to schedule you, to talk with someone. We Listen, we, are, we want to fill up our services that day. I, we got a chance to see on, our, on, on, our, uh, on this missions conference, they, they did a live feed into a, a baptismal service that was going on in Kenya. About 70 people getting baptized in this river. And man, it was awesome. I could have just watched it for hours. It was just an amazing display of the joy of the Lord. And it, it was so cool. And that's what we want to see in this place. Number three, will you obey Jesus' command to make disciples? We're giving you opportunities. We want you to incorporate bless into your life to help equip you to make disciples of Jesus. If this vision is going to happen, if if we're going to really be a part of taking the gospel to every man, woman, and child in Lake Norman and beyond, it's going to require all of us to make the commitment to say, Jesus, I'm all in. This is not about life fellowship. This is about Jesus. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to be obedient to Jesus. I want to be dedicated to Jesus because he's given us his authority, his power, and his presence. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. What is the step of faith 
What is the act of obedience that you need to take today? What's the Spirit of God telling you? What's he, what's he, what is He impressing on your heart what you need to do? All of us, all of us have a step of obedience that, that, that God is challenging us to do in this moment. What is He saying to you? Do you need to talk to someone about salvation, about your commitment to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to be a disciple maker? God loves you and He loves your friends and your neighbors and he wants people to know about his love. And I hope that we are so filled with his love that we can help share it with others. That's the kind of church I hope that we become. Father, I pray right now as we end our service that God, you would challenge us, that we would be obedient to the call that you've given us. God, soften hearts right now, unveil minds, that, God, we would, we would take the steps of faith we need to take. That, God, we, we have the right relationship with you. That we don't have this dysfunctional relationship anymore where you're there to serve us. That, God, we're here, whatever you want. We want to be here to serve you. We want your name. We want you to get the fame. We want your name to be glorified across this region. God, would you do that? Would you use us? We pray these things in your name.